from him whose morning star rises in your heart. Be all grace and mercy and peace. Amen. Our text for this morning is our gospel lesson, especially the words of the Magi who said, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This is our text. I'm wondering this morning if you have heard of Ultima Thule. Anybody heard of that? It was a very timely news article last week. Ultima Thule was discovered by NASA. It's an asteroid in a band of asteroids far beyond Neptune. And if you remember, way back in 2006, NASA sent up a spaceship called New Horizons to take a closer look at Pluto. And when New Horizons reached Pluto and looked at it for a while, NASA directed it to go even further, past Pluto. And so on January 1st, New Horizons got within 2,200 miles of Ultima Thule. They discovered that Ultima Thule is a rock that's about 22 miles long and about nine miles wide. It's reddish in color. It's kind of shaped like a snowman. And it's four billion miles away from Earth. This is our furthest exploration into space. We human beings have always been fascinated by the heavens, by the stars. No different than the Magi at the time of Jesus. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Over the years, all kinds of scholars have tried to figure out and determine exactly what was that star that was leading the wise men. Some thought that maybe it was Halley's Comet, but Halley's Comet came near Earth, but it was a little bit too early for the birth of Jesus. Other people posited that it was maybe a supernova of some kind. But one scholar says that it's more likely that it was the planets Jupiter and Saturn lining up and creating this bright star in the sky right around the time when Jesus would have been born. In fact, it's a pretty good observation because Jupiter was known to be a royal or kingly planet at that time, and Saturn was sometimes thought to represent the Jews. And so the conclusion was obvious. This star was representing a new king of the Jews. But Matthew's point in mentioning this star isn't anything to do with astronomy or to give us a nice little picture that we can draw and see at Christmas time of those wise men following that star. What Matthew is pointing out is that Jesus is the true king of the Jews. And old Herod is the false one. He's the imposter. He's the fake one. And this Herod that we hear of in today's text is the Herod that died shortly after the birth of Jesus. But his son, Herod Antipas, took over. And Herod Antipas was the Herod who saw to it that John the baptizer's head was cut off. And Herod Antipas was the one before whom Jesus had to appear at the time of his trial before his crucifixion. 
Needless to say, the house of Herod did not take very kindly to hearing that there was some kind of new king of the Jews on the horizon. So Matthew's making it very clear here at the beginning of his gospel that if Jesus is in some sense king of the Jews, his rule is not limited only to the Jews. In fact, already magi from a far-off, distant country are coming to see and to worship this newborn king. And this newborn king is not just king of the Jews, but king of the Gentiles as well. This is already a sign of what's to come. Both the Psalms and Isaiah had already predicted that the Messiah's reign would bring peace and justice, not just to the Jews, but to the whole world. And in fact, the Gospel of Matthew would end with the commissioning of Jesus' disciples when he told them to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus is king for all people. And that means, of course, that Jesus is also our king. He's the one who rules our lives. And as the Lord of our lives, we too have to make the same determination as King Herod. Will we receive him as the king of our life, or will we receive him as Herod did? Can it be true that our house doesn't always take kindly to receiving Jesus as the king of our life? It's the start of a new year, and the Lord continues to reign, and at the start of a new year, we take the opportunity oftentimes to reevaluate our attitude toward things and to try to reinvigorate our lives and not the least of which is to take a look at the reign of Jesus in our lives. And as we make our New Year's resolutions or set our goals or redirect our focus or whatever it is we're doing at the beginning of a new year, we might be tempted to say, now, I'm going to take control of my life or I'm going to do this or that to improve my life. But we forget how little power we really have to do anything at all on our own. You probably remember the late Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking was a severely disabled but very extremely intelligent, agnostic at best, physicist, who was once telling a computer convention that the only life form that was wholly and fully created by human beings is the computer virus. He said, I think it says something that the only form of life that we have created so far is purely destructive. He says, talk about creating life in our own image. Not only are we powerless to create change, but as Hawking admits, the only power we have is the power to destruct and to destroy. We see it taking place in family relationships or our relationships with our neighbors or the relationships between political parties or countries and and saddest of all, the relationship that we have with God, our Heavenly Father. Because of our sinfulness, we have done nothing but destroy relationships that God created for us. We have placed ourselves on the throne of our own lives and we have followed our own star. Far too often we receive King Jesus like King Herod did with 
doubt and spite and mistrust. And any kind of spite or doubt or mistrust of Jesus has to be labeled what it is. It's sin. Any type of broken relationship with families or neighbors, and especially with God, has to be labeled what it is. It's a result of sin. Making ourselves king or queen and following the wrong star means certain death and destruction. It means that our king has the right to punish us by execution eternally. It's what we deserve. But thankfully, Jesus, our true king, is going to come face to face with the representative of the world's greatest king of his time. He's going to face Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate was a subordinate of Caesar himself. And Pilate doesn't give Jesus gold or frankincense and myrrh. He gives him much less pleasant gifts. His soldiers are the first Gentiles since the Magi to call Jesus king of the Jews. But, but the crown that they give him is made of thorns and his throne becomes a cross. And at that moment, instead of a bright star, there's going to be an unearthly kind of blackness out of which there will come one little beacon of light, again from a Gentile, from a Gentile soldier, who will say, surely this was the Son of God. It was that darkness which won the shining light of salvation for us. Our execution became his. Our death and destruction was taken on by our compassionate king. And so the coming of this king was boldly proclaimed by a star and long ago foretold by stars, if you think about it. When we think about stars in Scripture, we can go all the way back to God's promise to Abraham that from Abraham's line would come the promised Messiah. And Abraham's descendants would be as many as what? The stars in the sky. And there was the incredible prophecy by the prophet Balaam who said, there shall come a star out of Jacob. The star even foreshadows what the disciple Peter said. He would one day proclaim that a day star would arise in our hearts. There was a big contrast between the Magi being guided to the Messiah by God's star in the heaven and Herod inquiring and searching and volunteering on his own to come to the baby Jesus and worship him. And that contrast is a reminder that salvation comes not by our initiative, but by God's initiative. He creates and makes relationship with us. Through his star-like word and shining sacraments, our Jesus comes into our lives. And Jesus would one day go so far as to say, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. You are God's chosen child. You are a son and daughter of the king and heir. And, and this kind of a king who takes the initiative in, in, a re, in recreating a perfect relationship with us deserves none other than our worship and our praise and our gifts. Jesus is not just the king of the Jews. He is king of the Gentiles. He is your king and mine. 
He earned this rightful position through his suffering and his death and his resurrection. And so as this new year begins, the Lord, through his word, reminds us what it means for Jesus to be our true king. And he calls us to come to him by whatever route we can with the best gifts we can find. Now these gifts may be material, they might be monetary, but the gifts that we bring Jesus go far beyond the material and monetary. The gifts that we bring might be other people as we welcome them into our worship here. Our gift might be a renewed resolution for daily devotions and weekly worship and group discipleship. Or it could be sharing our faith with a neighbor that we've been reluctant to do so up to this point. But as always, the greatest and best gifts that we offer, that we bring, are a broken and contrite heart before the Lord. Confessing our sin before him, receiving the gift of his forgiveness, giving him our earnest worship and praise because he is the king of all creation. So as the hymn says, come and worship. Come and worship Christ, the newborn king. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the peace of God that passes all understanding. Keep our hearts and our minds in the same Christ Jesus. Amen.